everybody. How's it going? This is Rob Turley, your host of Down the Rabbit Hole podcast. And today I have a special guest to talk about some social selling attributes and uh, I guess the future of social sales, which uh, everybody talks about the present or how to sell during some sort of crisis or whatever. It's honestly never really changed. It's, just, it's the same thing. But um, we're talking, we're going to start talking about the future of where it's going to be headed. So I have a special guest, Alex Lowe. He's an awesome guy. He is a champion social seller, and he's been around the block more than a couple times when it comes to that. So it's exciting to have him here, and I know that this is really a hot topic between a lot of people. So, uh, Alex, please uh, introduce yourself. Brilliant. Thank you, Robin. It's uh, great to be uh, on the on the podcast today. So, yep. So I'm Alex, all the way from uh, sunny London, SW19, where the Wimbledon where Wimbledon is, where the tennis wasn't this year. I sh didn't happen this year. I should uh, I should say. Uh, my background um, sales through and through. So I carried a bag. I was in real estate, then in recruitment for five years, banging out the cold calls, recruiting sales professionals into the IT and tech sector. Um, then LinkedIn came along. And for me, leveled the the playing field in the world of recruitment because I could be sat at home in my pajamas with a candidate database rather than being a candidate database for a um, uh, for a large organisation. So then moved into professional services, so accounting firm, then legal, and towards the end of my time with my law firm, that's when LinkedIn came and sold the dream. Jack Hanratty sold the dream of sales navigator and social selling. So that started me on this this journey of how do you use social to sell, if you will. Uh, then moved into JLL, Jones Lang Sell, commercial real estate firm, where I led the first ever global social selling program, according to LinkedIn, did case studies on me, and we did half a million net new, and did a pipeline of 4.9 million in the first full 12 months of leveraging Sales Navigator and LinkedIn um, in anger to generate business conversation. Brexit happened, uh, property industry went into panic mode, I was let go quietly, given some money, and, um, been consulting back into the industry ever since uh, under two brands, Beyond Sales and DLA Ignite, to help organizations understand how to build social and digital behaviors into their go-to-market strategy. Easy. Wow, that was a whole lot. And uh, I like how you started it too, because that is a very sick form of R&R, &R, which is uh, recruiting in real estate. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Oh, yeah, that's some R&R &R that nobody wants. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's funny stuff. Uh, so anyway, when you started leveraging your social media accounts uh, or company accounts you start selling, let's say with uh, everybody's favorite thing in the whole wide world is uh, Sales Navigator with LinkedIn. Personally, I yep. do not think it's necessary by any means whatsoever. Agreed. It's Agreed. just a little more fancy version of just business premium. Uh, I personally do not use it. There's no need to actually use it unless you want to add some team implementation or actually have it paid for by a mm -hmm. company. If you're paying for it out of pocket like most people do, there's no reason to really have it outside of being able to organize stuff. But if you have a CRM, not really needed. So I recommend it to people if they don't have data practices like I do, which is, yep. I, I'm, a, I'm a sick fuck, man. So <laughs> <laughs> there's a difference there. But yeah, could you could you dive a little bit into how you started utilizing this stuff? And where was, where was the starting point that started uh, driving success using these platforms? That's a great question. I, I I completely agree with you. You do not need Sales Navigator to, to social sell. And actually, if we take a step back, and anybody that follows me know, knows knows me that says, I actually hate the term. I hate the term social selling. Um, that's a brilliant cat. I hate the term <laughs> social selling because where it's fundamentally lost its way is people sell over social. For me, it's just sales for the 21st century, and it's one of multiple channels. But what started to flip the switch when I saw Sales Navigator was not actually the access that it gives you, it was more than a corporate level team link that starts to create that virtual map of the organization of who knows who, because I'm yes. a salesperson, I'm lazy, right? I want the shortest possible route into start a business conversation with somebody. And if that can be an introduction rather than a cold call or a cold email or whatever it is, I'm gonna take the least path of, path, uh, path of resistance. So seeing Team Link in the corporate space, I was like, this is freaking amazing. This this is kind of what LinkedIn is um, has, uh, has been waiting for. But then it was just like taking people along this this journey that it's you know you could write a blog post and that could start a conversation. You could like on you could like someone's post, you comment someone's post, that starts a conversation. Take that conversation off LinkedIn into this environment or a face-to-face -face environment or a phone call or a coffee, and then just go through whatever your sales process is. That's all social selling really is, is possibly, is it just digital prospecting? Is it 
prospecting using social to then start a conversation as you would do through a cold call, as you would do through a cold email, as you would do through carrier pigeon. To, to yeah, seriously. Go and so, the part that people really don't understand about social selling is that it is literally a conversation. Mm. Are you going to walk up to someone in a cafe that you saw at a business conference two years ago and say, hey, I've got this amazing, amazing product. Do you want to buy it? Like, you know, you're going to get either punched in the face, arrested, or that person's going to run. So it's just, I don't know what people think when they try to connect with someone that they throw a pitch in the connection request. Yeah. What the hell are you doing? I mean, you're going to scare people away. Do you want to get pitched at the second you walk into a store? No. They say, how may I help you? Now, yeah. that is a nice approach. Or they're saying, hey, how's it going today? Like, what are you looking mm -hmm. for? Or, you know, it's it's a nice just engaging beginning of a conversation uh, where you're having a conversation. It's like a nice little intro. And that's how I recommend people to social sell because I'm pretty good at social selling myself, I like to think. Mm -hmm. But really, it's just an introduction to who you are and finding out about them. And like you said with the team link thing, that is fantastic because you need to navigate the hierarchy of the company. You need to understand who the influencers are in the company. Yeah. You have to understand who the decision makers are. You need to understand how the company is structured to begin with. Is the top of the sales um, uh, structure going to be the sales director or is it going to be the VP, the SVP, the EVP? You don't yeah. know until you can see stuff like that. So you can understand how this company is functioning. And that's the power behind it. It's really just a place to grab insight and a place to contact somebody effectively. Absolutely, and I think the the the, the challenge is with kind of the, the connect and pitch, is that it's this kind of like it's the pop idol slash X factor slash the economy of now, the kind of the fifteen minutes of fame. I want it now, now, now. You know, success is. I, I want instantaneous gratification. I want instant success, and I will try and find the easiest route to do that. Sales is freaking hard work. No matter yeah. what it is, sales is hard, full stop. And there is no easy silver bullet because if there was, I'd have found it and I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd be sitting on a beach sipping a pina colada somewhere with my millions in the, in, in the bank. And people, from my perspective, look lean on technology as the solution to the problem. So if I send more and more of more of this, this out, some of it eventually is going to stick. And the stuff that sticks, I might, I might get lucky with someone at the right time that converts into into win happy days. But as we're now seeing, the problem is we're now seeing more and more and more of this. So all that's happening is just people are actually going to start just going off LinkedIn because like, I don't want to be on here. I don't want to be on here if this is what I know is going to um, going to happen. And then people look at the automation, going, well, that's not working. So I'm going to try and automate more of the automation. And then we just come into that that full circle. Whereas to your point, Rob, if it's just around, you, know, you wouldn't go up to somebody in a conference and start shouting at them going, buy my thing. LinkedIn, in fact, social, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Insta, TikTok, wherever it is, is they're all the biggest conferences happening in the world right now. You just need to be in there and be in part of that, that conversation. That's then when it's things like, you know, you look at the 740 million people that are on there, you then go to hashtags. Hashtags are different conversations, sub-conversations happening within LinkedIn. You're going to start talking to people that you're not connected to, that you want to be connected to. And guess what? People might want to send you a connection. We're going to say, hey, that's really interesting. Let's have a conversation. Let's take this offline and, and, and where, we, um, where we go. The biggest challenge in all of this is attribution, is if you're a sales leader, and you've got KPIs to hit in terms of num you know, emails out, calls out, whatever it is, and they see their reps, what they believe to be messing around on social, which they then can't necessarily attribute activity to outcome. This is when it starts to get problematic, in my view, is, is, is the KPI aspect of how sellers are being driven today. And I know this conversation is starting to unfold on uh, on LinkedIn. I know Seth Mars, Seth um, Mars from Forrester is now starting to talk around this as actually are the ways are the ways sellers compensated part of the overall problem i believe so i believe that's part of the the, the problem in terms of the these kpis are driving the wrong behaviors and you also dare i say have a layer of leadership that don't believe it and they don't believe it and they're not prepared to empower and allow people to do this then you're never going to get success through social yeah, social social media is a, is an interesting animal um, where you do need to interact interact, and often it looks like you're bullshitting. Mm -hmm. um, that's part of the process, though, that you have to bullshit with people in yep. order to really connect with them to create an actual relationship with somebody. It's not the easiest thing to create a relationship with someone online. I right. mean, look at online dating. That's really freaking hard. 
Yeah. It is. It's hard. And all sales is, is dating, really. Yeah. It's just business dating. That's all it is. So you need to create that impact. You need to join these groups. You need to be interactive with them. You need to create a personal brand. You need to sell yourself. And what companies really make the mistake on, and this is more toward the future of social selling, is that personal brand is more important than your company's brand. Companies yeah. for the longest time say, you know, we need to have our employees push all of our content. Uh, they mm -hmm. need to have everything about our company. They need to be posting about our company. Well, that makes you just about the most uninteresting person in the entire yeah. freaking world. Nobody gives a shit about your company. They give a shit about you. And it, the way that it works is that your company's brand should be built around the individual brands of all the people that work there. This is mm -hmm. what people don't understand. It's a multi-threaded approach to create the beast that you want to have as a company. People get interested in other people. And then yeah. by default, if they're interested enough, they're like, wow, you know what? Who does this guy work for? Who does this gal work for? Mm -hmm. um, what is their objective? What are they doing? Um, I need to understand like who do they work for because what they're talking about, all these, all this value they're driving into the market, all that I'm learning from them, their company has to offer something that has something to do with that. I want a piece of whatever they have. And that's how to drive sales through selling on social media is that the interest is driven through the people, not the company. I mean, how many companies do you follow on LinkedIn? Really? I mean, how many people? I mean, I follow them a bunch, but that's just because I want to know what they're up to. But then also prove to them and go, look, you're posting this corporate content out. Content out. It's either getting engagement from all the other employees there, because your marketing team is telling everyone, hey, you go and like our post, and you're just stuck in that that echo chamber, or it's not getting any any engagement uh, engagement at all. And I think it's really interesting in terms of this this concept of um, there's a guy called a gentleman called Andrew McGrill um, McGill McGrill on um, on social. He's 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 an IBM or ex IBM. And I see right about this donkeys years ago. He said that as an employee, you lease your brand to the employer. So they're yep. renting your brand. When you're yep. working, they are renting your brand that is um, that is you. Now, of course, absolutely, I do recognize there has to be some kind of, you know. It needs to be relevant, you know. You gotta stay, it's got to be relevant. You got to stay, stay, stay within your lane to a to a certain um, extent, but you see those that on. So Tom Boston, for example, the SDR from um, Salesloft, you know, the fact that Ollie Sharp is just basically allow and the company is allowing him to do his comedic videos has got nothing to do with Salesloft as a technology at all. But he now freely admits people just get in touch with me because of my videos. They know they know me. They don't have to know that it's sales off I'm working for. It's like, oh, this guy's doing some cool shit. This is interesting. He's funny. Oh, look who he works. Okay, that's interesting. We're thinking about that. I might want to have a conversation with um, uh, with Tom. It's a bit like you know me in terms well, not of- not just that. It, it's that they want to talk to him in the first place. Now, this yeah. gives them an excuse to talk to him and to reach out where it's going to be yeah. about business. Therefore, you're adding the excitement and the intrigue to the relevance. And then when you add that to the relevance, they're going to be much more open to doing business with you because you intrigue them. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you raise a great point there in terms of intrigue. And it's around, if I look at my, you know, I do my hashtag Ask Alex every, uh, every Friday and how that's evolved from, I remember I've been here for three, four, four years now, I think, straight. I was very nervous. I'd sit like this just directly in front of video, no kind of comedic value to it. We'd post the video, message from people, like, please like my video so it doesn't crash. And then I got over myself because people were basically telling me to get over myself. Now I've, I have people that I'm not even connected to kind of messaging me going, I'm looking forward to your Friday video. I'm like, the pressure's too much. I've become an influencer, which I haven't. I've just created the brand that is just me. And it, it's, it's creating a community around your brand. And yeah. that community is what's going to drive more sales. I'm getting, like, for example, with I do similar stuff. Well, I mean, with this podcast, for example, you know, I have people reach out to me saying, hey, so-and-so referred me to do business with you. Mm -hmm. I've never heard of that so-and-so in my entire life. Yeah, I don't know who the person is that referred them. I don't know who the hell they are. They're a third degree connection. I am as far away as you can get to what, like whoever this person is or whoever I whoever I know that knows them. Where it's not first degree, someone knows them. It's not second degree, someone that I know that they know knows them. It's someone that I know that they know that they know that they know that knows them that's referring them to me. And our company, well, my company has never had a freaking conversation with anyone in that network. And so getting referrals from people you've never met, that's powerful. And that's out yeah. of creating a community and driving value through content. Absolutely. And I, it's, it's also to, you know, in terms of what, you know, I, I, I do, you know, in terms of is give the give the keys to the kingdom where you're able to. You know, obviously in your world, you're not going to give your proprietary IP in terms of actually how what you do works. But if anybody actually wanted to learn social selling, go to my YouTube channel, invest some of your time, watch you know a number of my videos over a couple of hours, 
it's it's all there. And what people they do though is they they go and look at that. Go, oh, that's really interesting, but it's really hard. I need help. So then pick up the phone. You know, they pick up the phone to me rather than me trying to be, you know, hiding behind the the scenes in terms of this and that or gating content. It's like it's all out there. If you want to do it, do it. If you want to get in touch with me, awesome. If you don't, awesome. <laughs> There's no skin off uh, no skin off uh, off my nose. And from my perspective, if you're post on social media if you'll comment on social media and i think this is the interesting thing is people you know have this freak out i don't have time to create content a comment on a a, a well-informed comment on someone's post is content origination in its own right and if that can get a single person to think differently or go hmm that's slightly curious and i want to learn more and connect with you and start a conversation then job done in my view yep and people uh just like you were saying they can look at your YouTube content and they can learn how to do it. Well, people don't spend money on the how or the what. They know what, they can learn how. It's the actual action itself is what they're paying for. Yeah. It doesn't matter, you can give away your secrets, it's fine. But whether people are going to execute that or not is a totally different story. And they're probably not going to because they feel uncomfortable. It's out of their comfort zone and people are not often leaving their comfort zone, which I mean, entirely is a whole different issue. That's why a lot of people aren't leaders. If, you, if you're not constantly in a state of discomfort, you're probably not leading anybody or anything. Um, it, very, very low chance that you're doing that. And if you are doing that, then your company is uh, slowly receding. It's not growing um, yeah. because you're in your comfort zone. You're not innovating. You're not getting further. But that's the thing is that people do not care about the what. They really care about the how, but they will never take action on the how. So yeah. you need to give them the reason why. And when you give them the reason why, then they're going to want to do it. And when they want to do it, people invest in things that they want, not so much need. Um, and it needs to be presented to them in a way where it's a desire and it's not a necessity. People do not like necessities. Toilet paper is a necessity. But <laughs> you don't see people you know, uh, making their own toilet paper. You don't see people going out of their way to learn how to use it the most efficient way. It's just that they use it and that's the end of it. They buy it, they use it, and then they follow yep. the recommended instructions on whoever taught them on how to do whatever it is that they're doing with it. So <laughs> that, that's kind of the idea is that people don't pay for the how, the why, or the what. They're paying for the do. Yep. The do-do. Maybe not the do-do. Um, oh, yeah. okay, <laughs> I won't be doing any YouTube videos on how to use toilet paper, that's for sure. <laughs> Probably get taken down for community guidelines. But you're, you, you are right, and it comes back to this economy of now. It comes back to the, I want it now, 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 now. I'm too lazy to actually put some hard yards into this. It's why we always go full circle back to sports analogies. Why was Usain Bolt the best at what he does? Because he practiced, 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 and they have coaches. Why do you know people sometimes say, why is the coach not the best in the world? Because the coach isn't the best in the world at that. They're, what they're the best in the world at doing is getting the best out of people. That's where the player coach you know, comes in. That's where it's going to be interesting to see where sales enablement, sales ops, rev ops as it is now, goes into this, this space to actually help enable your best people to be the best at what they they do because you can spot when things are going wrong. You can uh, see that, that ties directly into your top performer should probably not be the manager or the boss. 100%. Because they are really good at doing, they're not really good at showing people how to do. And if you ask them how they do it, they go, oh, well, I just, you know, I just do it and then it happens and then what? Yeah, you're going to rely on someone trying to teach somebody how to do something that says, oh, yeah, you just do it. You know, it just happens. And then I just... I don't really know. I just yeah. kind of go for it and it works. And you want that person trying to, to teach your team? No. Yeah. No. And those who cannot do teach. I love that saying. I mean, it's not always true. I could yeah. teach and I could do, but it's not common that people who do have ever thought about it in an educational format before because they just understand it. They never thought about what it takes to teach somebody. Indeed. And I think obviously what the last 12 months has shown is that it's turned everything on its head is that you now have to do this, this kind of coaching role in this in this environment where you can't be sat next to them. You can't kind of listen to the the, the nuances of what's happening on the sales floor and uh, and so on. And I think it will be 2021 is going to be interesting for for, for all of this, especially you know, if you look at the research, oh no, research, research, right? It seems to be it seems to contradict itself most of the time anyway in terms of what is is or isn't going to happen i'm sure then people look at the research and they make it fit the narrative that suits them and some people have started to get a bit shouty around uh, around all, all of this in terms of where this isn't or isn't uh, isn't going you know from my perspective do what works and if cold calling works for you sweet and according to mckinsey where they analyzed with i can't remember who it was serious decisions i think 
one of the ones they did 60,000 deals and um, out of those deals uh, all the high performing salespeople said it was a cold call that started the conversation you then flip to Gartner and Gartner says one of three salespeople don't uh, respondents to their survey said one of three uh, buyers don't want salespeople in the in, in the process you then flip to something else and you get hoops saying advertising works for, from a b2b perspective it's like okay what's going on here is 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 it one or the other and this for me is it's it it is no longer one or the one or the other. It has to be a blend of the corporate messaging just has to be out there. It's just the nature of the beast. But to your earlier point, Rob, how do you then allow the individual to play their own spin on that, to bring in their own style, their own approach, their own viewpoint within staying in their um, uh, in, in their lane? And this also takes time. So you can get lucky on social. You can get lucky with that one connection. It's like your whale comes in, happy days, oh my God, perfect timing, through to being consistent at what you're doing. In you know, if you do this, start this today, I guarantee by the end by the end of this this year, uh, you will have pipeline. You'll have pipeline on top of the pipeline you're already creating in terms of what's uh, what's out there. And this that's what this is all about. It's back to the earlier point. This is around creating pipeline. This is top of funnel stuff. This is converting that then in and then bringing that into your sales process. If your sales team can't then close that business that's been generated through social, social selling has not failed. Somewhere in your sales process has failed. The seller themselves has failed to qualify in or out that person to be in that uh, in that pipeline. Yes, most of the issues with social selling that people have saying, oh no, my team isn't suited to do it or it's not a good process, it's not a good method, whatever else it may be. It's usually an error or a point of failure within the rest of their sales process because yeah. all it's meant for is capturing. That's it. Yeah. That's it. It's getting a conversation started. It's all it's for. You're not going to actually sell anything on, on LinkedIn. That's, That's not where the sale happens ever. They need to have a conversation. It's not just, oh, I magically need this. Let's do it. I mean, sure, it could happen, <laughs> but the chances are astronomical. You probably have more chances of getting struck by lightning three times getting into a plane crash. But <laughs> it's just not going to happen that way. And that's the misconstrued part of the process is that people are treating social media or thinking of social media as a one and done, this is where we sell. That's yeah. not where the sale is happening. It's simply just not where it's happening and it's not going to happen there. So yeah. how do we get people to understand that in a way that they can understand it or whatever the hell that means? Because I talk to so many people all the time they're saying, oh, you know, my team can't sell on social media. You know, social selling is so hard. Well, the problem is that you're trying to sell on social media. Yeah. How do you explain that to somebody? It's so the way I look at it is I focus on I, I focus on outcomes. And so I always tell the story. I've got a slide with a, a caterpillar turning to a bus fly that turns into a digital bus fly. So I say, what was I trying to do 20 years ago in the world of recruitment? Set a sales meeting. Well, that's how did I do it? Cold calls. Because that's all I could do back then. Email was kind of thing. The internet, well, you know, social media in terms of as we knew it wasn't really a, a thing per se. Fast forward to today, what am I trying to do? Set sales meetings. Nothing's changed in the 20 years that I've been doing this in terms nothing of that. At all. Nothing has changed. What has fundamentally transformed, if this is a word, is the digitization of that sales process. Sales is no longer a linear thing per se in terms of that process that, that follows. And your buyers, we all know, are now way more in control. Previous life, it was big branded messaging. Yes, I've heard of Michael Page International. I've never heard of Alex Lowe, but I've heard of Michael Page International because they're a big global recruitment. Because there is no way to have that level of connectivity with people. Exactly. So I'm going to give him another 30 seconds on the phone to give me his pitch. And then if he screws it up, he screws it up. If he doesn't, then I'll give him another 30 seconds and, and, and so on. Then how did you control the, the narrative? I had to have phone calls with them. I had to go to meetings with them to update them on the latest thing that was happening. Fast forward today, if I want to see the latest updates on XYZ, I just go to the thing called the internet. I go to Google. I go to my I go to my mates in WhatsApp going, I'm thinking about doing this. Can you recommend can you recommend me somebody? We're thinking about changing this system. Who do you use? Who should I go and um, talk to? And if you think about it, is who should I go and talk to? Is never go and talk to Salesforce, never go and talk to um, uh, Microsoft, never go and talk to Salesloft. It's go and talk to Bob. It's always a person. Go and talk to Bob, Sally, Jane. They're they're a good person. I trust them. And that's what that's where the fundamental difference is now, is that your buyers are now way more in control of this. So it's how do you then understand A, cut through the noise, but B, be where, be where your buyers are 
not where they were. And then, then how do you start to use, you know, we're now coming back into, I truly believe where you as a seller can become more in control of the sales process based on data. And, and this for me is where I'm starting to get really far. And that's how you and I met before, you know, I think four or five weeks ago, I didn't even know you existed as a human being on the planet. And Jerry Hill mentioned you in the Salesborgs WhatsApp chat. You know, what I was like, this sounds interesting. Hey, you're doing some really cool stuff in the data world. I'm interested in the data world because this is where I believe actually sales full stop is, is, is going. Now here we are having our second podcast together. Yeah, it's right, exactly. And it, it's the whole key behind it, though. Data does not give you control over the sale. The buyer always has a control over the sale because people buy as they wish to buy. The yeah. way that, part of the points of failure that I see is that people try to structure meetings. It's a process. It's a process. Mm -hmm. It's a process. It's, a pro it's not a process. I don't like calling it a sales process. It's a sales structure. The reason mm -hmm. it's a sales structure is because think of it as a warehouse building, open floor warehouse building. It doesn't matter where they are wandering around inside like the prospect. It doesn't matter where they're wandering around inside of that building. As long as they're inside of the structure, it's good. They can go any direction that they'd like. You let them walk around, enjoy themselves, do whatever they're doing in there, see all the sites and all that good stuff. And the only thing you don't want them to do is to leave the building. So Absolutely. it's a sales structure. Keep them within that structure. It doesn't matter which direction they go or how the conversation wants it, it needs to go. It's not about needing to go anywhere. It's, it's about where they want and need it to go for themselves. And mm -hmm. you just follow them and you guide them through the building. You are their guide. You just don't want them to leave because they're not interested anymore. They don't yep. want to buy the property. It's the exact same type of a thing. You want to keep them inside of the structure. It's not a process. The more regimented you make a sale, the less successful it's going to be because the buyer's journey is not fulfilled. They're not able to buy the way that they want to buy, and they can always contact a competitor because they have such access to data. Data yeah. is not helping control the process. It's help giving you the understanding and understanding of how much control you do have and where you need to go. Think of it as the knowing. It's the direction in which you need to be going in order to make this successful. That you have the right information and tools to be able to have these conversations so that you can help solution, so that you can help provide, uh, so that you can help bring value. And that's really the strength behind data is that the reason sales is a numbers game is because people contact everybody and their mother, anybody with a pulse to try to sell to them. But that's a problem. The focus needs to be put on the buyer's journey where if it's rushed and it's a numbers game, that focus cannot be maintained. It cannot even be established. So you have all these really stressed out salespeople trying to close all these deals when they're talking to everybody and their mother. It makes it a yeah. very ineffective process. Um, and it makes it a serious problem when it comes to the social selling standpoint. And that's why all of these LinkedIn automation companies where you could just automatically reach out some of these messages, they are destroying the power of social yeah. selling because it's not conversations. It's just pitch, 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 pitch. And I'm not even accepting people's connection requests anymore. I yeah. deny them. If there's a pitch, denied. If there's something, yeah. I'm impressed by your profile, denied. If there's <laughs> I know when you're a robot, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not even going to give you the light of day. I don't care if it expands my network because the last thing I need in my network is a freaking automation person. Yeah, uh, And I build automation for a living, for God's sakes. And I'm <laughs> against it. I'm anti-automation. When it comes to the doing, let the people do because people buy from people they like, trust, and can relate to. When it comes to the knowing, that's where the automation should get put into place. That's why my company freaking exists. Uh, yep. is because we automate the knowing, not the doing, because it's if you just do, 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 do without knowing, what the hell are you doing? Nobody knows. You're just guessing. And oh, what's the point behind that? You have a sales staff that's probably inflated with about 80% of people who are not qualified to do the job. You have about 80% of the people who are closing 20% of your sales. Almost every company's data that we've processed through our system, mm -hmm. perfect 80-20. I'm not even joking. It actually scares the shit out of me. It is a perfect 80-20 every single time when we break down that data and it, it's it's mind-boggling how it's that on point it's off by maybe a percent yeah so it's, what are we doing hiring all these people throwing stacks of cash in the form of salary into an empty office chair while they're just running in a circle well i this and, and you raise an you, you raise an interesting point there because if we if we do if we do believe i say it's a big if here if we do believe that in the world of sales that you know what the gartners are saying that you know gen x the, the gen x i get you know gen x's are saying it's the what it's one of three don't want to talk to sales people when you get to millennials it's like almost 50 percent of millennials survey don't actually want to have a seller in their um 
in the buying process. Now, part of me thinks, and I know we touched on this last time around, part of me thinks that we've also, we're creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. Salespeople are bad, salespeople are bad. I don't want to talk to salespeople. That's just uh -huh. kind of people. I just think that this started to get a little bit too, too far and this was i think justin's got the piece coming up with revenue garage um tomorrow or the next day with mike reberge because i my i've one of the questions i've got in my mind how how far are we going to go down the automation route before we realize it's too freaking automated and we do actually need some people in this process to your point just to give a bit of a human element to it and a bit of you know a bit of control i do accept that as there are some areas of the of kind of say or more the products that are being sold where you and I can go to a website, we kind of know what we want, it's relatively low risk in our thing, I could spend $10,000 on X number of sales and have a go to license. I don't need to talk to anybody because I know I, I know what I want. You know, McKinsey Research is now saying that, you know, they did 3,500 people just before Christmas and 15% of those respondents said, we'd be happy to spell and spend north of a million dollars on a product or service in a virtual end-to-end -end environment, quasi self-serve. So our, our risk tolerances are starting to get higher in terms of what we're prepared to spend without necessarily having to talk to a human being or have very little human interaction. And when that human interaction happens, my sense is, is I see it as around, they want people to enable the purchase. I don't want to be sold to, I want to talk to a human being to help me get over those final pieces of the puzzle. Back to your warehouse example. Solutioning. <laughs> that is the biggest decay or just rot that's inside of the sales process is the inability to solution. And that's what the, are you talking about these millennials? They don't want to talk to a salesperson. They don't want to be sold to. They want to be solutioned with. That's it. They want to talk about the problem. They want to work it out and see if it's something they can implement into their process. That's all they want to know. Cause in the end, brass tacks, that's all people are buying something for. Yeah. Solve a problem. Why is solutioning cut out of the process? Well, I mean, we can thank the whole massive outreach thing that happened in the 90s when everybody started reaching out via email and it started becoming a mess and then went to the early 2000s and then started blowing up even more, blowing up even more. That That's what was causing all the issues because it was like, wow, we never knew that we can contact this many people. We're so connected now. Yeah, That needs to come to a halt. It needs to end. And there's plenty that can be automated, but the thing is so much waste is getting put out there. there. People are lighting money on fire. I mean, look at look at how much money's dumped into digital marketing, right? Yeah. Dumped into it. Out of all of the MQLs that a company's able to co collect, what if they built a community where there's 2.6 million people that are following their content and they're engaging with it? Well, the marketing team's been living in their little marketing dreamland while the salespeople are just grinding. Oh trying to make this happen. Meanwhile, they're passing over their, their MQLs as SQLs to the sales team. These people are now qualified because they're engaging uh, due to, uh, you know, uh, yeah. point A, B, and C have been fulfilled, except the, the points that they're saying, this is now a qualified person is garbage. It, the reason it's garbage is because why is the MQL to SQL close ratio 1% mm -hmm. market-wide? It's pathetic. It means the marketing team has no idea who the sales team is selling to, and the sales team has no idea how to communicate that to the marketing team. Therefore, you start getting all of these inefficiencies with mass outreach and social selling. They don't mm -hmm. know who they're actually targeting. They're just talking to people, yeah. or they're just trying to pitch to people. So there's a huge disconnect there. Those things need to be threaded together to make social selling truly effective. 100% agree with you. And I, this, this, is, this is where, and I, I, I actually hate putting a word in front of the word selling because it's just selling. It's just sales in the 21st century, but I know we touched on this last time around. So where I believe that actually this this is going is you know what Forrester were referring to as dynamic guided selling. So it's starting to, and I really like your your your, your warehouse analogy. I think that's a really nice visual way to kind of think about how a seller, you know, a buyer, sorry, is operating in their um you know in in their buying process. It's leveraging the right data points, and this is obviously where your expertise is, is to get them to understand wh where where the buyer may be in that process, who are the people that we should be talking to, not what we, what we think we should be talking to. But more importantly, and this comes back to uh, you know, the age old thing of, if we've sold this product and solution time and time again to this type of person, this type of industry, we know this works, just learn from that, iterate, repeat, and do more of that in terms of what you know works. And now you've got systems and technology like your like your technology solutions to help support making the right decisions based on data rather than you know, just blindly talking at people in the vain hope that something's going to going to stick. So at a very basic level though, 
if people want to understand it, well, okay, I, I, I don't have the ability to buy into White Rabbit Intel yet. I don't have the, the ability to get all this tech. You have LinkedIn. If you are posting on LinkedIn, even on the free version, you can get the analytics from where your content is landing in your news feeds. So LinkedIn tells you, X eyeballs from these companies have seen your post. If the eyeballs on that post are from organizations that would never buy what you are doing, freaking do something different. The amount of times yes. I have conversations with people at that base, oh, I never thought about it from that point of view. I never really looked at the date. I've got like 5,000 views, 10,000 views in this post. Whoop do doo I'm like, yeah, but if those, if those companies, it's either your mates from other sales organizations and competitors, or it's from a companies that will never buy what you do. And this, this is where marketing screws up. There's tons yeah. of engagement. There's tons of interactions. There's tons of likes. There's tons of shares, all that stuff. How many, th this is the ultimate question that they, they can seem to never be able to answer. How many out of those 2 million people who just interacted converted as a customer? Five? Who the hell are you targeting? So people always think that, oh, we need to improve our messaging. Oh, we need to do this, that, this, that, this, that. That's marketing's job. But they also forget that their job is to make conversions happen. It's to feed the sales team. That's why they exist, but that's mm -hmm. not happening. So they're adjusting the messaging, adjusting the messaging until they get the most engagement. So they think they're doing the right job. And it's like, okay, the sales team could take it from here. But guess what? If you're adjusting that messaging and it doesn't resonate with the people that you sell to, then you, who, who are you trying to impress? Anybody who's anybody? Yep. That's the thing. Exactly. So th there's a huge disconnect there. Massive, massive disconnect. And it's often not the messaging. It's the target. And that's where we come into play too. It goes much deeper than just, okay, are these companies looking at it? Can I sell to them? Well, most people don't even know who the hell they can sell to or why. And that's <laughs> what we prove all the time. So if it, that assumption alone is dangerous if you don't mm -hmm. have the data to back it up. So it, we look at that stuff and, you know, some companies we've worked with, for example, they say, oh no, we don't target those people because it would never be a good fit. Well, why do you think that? Uh, because, you know, it's just, it's not a good fit because of blah, 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 yeah. flapping the gums. And uh, we ran an ideal customer persona. It's exactly who they've been avoiding for four years. Yeah. That is their best customer. They ran a campaign on that. They had five times the level of conversions than they've had out of any company record monthly ever during COVID. During this, COVID. this, but this is the this is the point though in terms of in terms of all of this in terms of the you know what you're what you're kind of highlighting there is the is is a really interesting concept if you think about. It. Let's just forget social selling for the time. This is sales, right? Just let's call it what it is. It's just selling. I don't care whatever the outreach is is breaking down assumptions. We know that the quote is assumptions of the mother mother of all fuck ups. And if you're sitting there just repeating that same, it's not, it'll, it, it won't work. It, well, how do you know? Have, have you tried it? Have you tried doing something different? Have you actually tested this hypothesis that this won't work? Because until you've actually tested this hypothesis that this won't work, you're just self-fulfilling that kind of, that's, you know, that self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a bit like, you know, salespeople are bad. We mustn't have talked to salespeople. It's become just, just in terms of we, we, we believe it or we want to believe it. The challenge with that is that means that, sales leaders marketing leaders actually may have to just stand up and go you know what yeah it's not working that's okay let's try something different and that's like and I, I do recognize that that takes a brave person to then go higher up the food chain you know what this is not working we want to try something different we may have a dip in it we may have a dip in revenue for the next these months but this isn't working and we need to do something different yeah i mean it's just like any 12-step program admitting the problem is the first step to recovery Yep. You need to admit the problem. That is the first step to recovery. Next step is making changes, making habit change. <laughs> like, I mean, go. The, sales needs to go through a freaking 12-step addiction program. It's yes. the same thing. <laughs> They're addicted to the process, and the process yep. needs to change. So it's like, it's taking away that heroin or whatever they're doing uh, that mm -hmm. is just driving them to just, just need it any way that they, they find fit of whatever the hell that is, I have no idea because it's such a convoluted mess at this point. And um, to show like how off target people are, it's a targeting problem. You don't need more leads. It's easy to get lead data. There's Zoom Info, there's Discover Org, there's Uplead, there's 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 a million others. Info USA, it doesn't matter who you use. Mm -hmm. It's just that you can get the leads. The lead has done its job as soon as the, con if the contact information is correct, the person's title is correct, like who they are is correct. The lead's job is done. Don't blame the leads. It, yep. And don't blame the salespeople either because you're not giving them a place to go, a target or anything like that. The the the, um, 
Do you know what the conversion rate on social selling is from uh, cold out or successful cold outreach to close? Do you know what that currently is? No. If you were to guess. Uh, I don't know. So, I mean, the, the research, so LinkedIn puts out research that the high performing sellers are outperforming their, their, um, their other people by sort of 67% use, using social in terms of conversion. One quarter of a percent. Yeah, it's pathetic. It's, but, and again, this, but the, also this comes back to attribution. I, I guarantee there's probably more social selling happening without people realizing it. They get a piece of inbound, they get a phone call, and they're not asking, where have you come from? Oh, I saw that blog post you wrote, or someone recommended I have a conversation with you, or actually that article you wrote was really, really interesting. It's just like, oh, I got, I got an inbound lead. This is awesome. I'm going to record it as a cold call and, um, uh, and, and so on and so forth. But to anything in life, if you're not actually attributing where it's coming from and how that's starting, then from my perspective, you can't prove anything works. It's you just good data works. entry practices. My sales yeah. team is required to do that. Where did it come from? Did it come from LinkedIn? Did it come from some sort of social media? Was it a call? Was it a yeah. digital meeting? Was it from an event? Was it from, yeah. um, was it was it an email? Was it a cold outreach email? Was it an inbound email? Did you flip yeah. the script? How did it go? So adding that information is so important to track and doing it in a normalized way so you can understand how it works. That's amazing. Um, so understanding where your traffic's coming from, is it coming from LinkedIn? Is it coming from a Google search? Is it coming yeah. from advertisements? Where is it coming from? Tracking all that stuff. People seem to not understand how important this data is because it's going to drive everything that you've done, that you're doing, and will do. And to and to this point, th this is where, you know, to your point around the sales and marketing teams now need to talk, well, they're not talking to each other, they need to start talking to each other. The sales and marketing data now needs to start talking to each other. Organizations that are getting their head around this now, pausing, accepting that we are where we are let's just take a step back let's breathe okay let's think about what we can do if you if you do this now i guarantee in 12 months time if not beyond you will start to win and win big versus the competition that is still doing the old ways of doing things in terms of outreach not even 12 months man i we've seen we've seen changes like my company after we've worked with people we've had a company that worked with us four and a half months later they doubled the revenue from 40 million to 80 million Four and a half months. That's a 2x growth. Yeah. And they're more profitable on top of that. So that, that's the thing. I, we had one company, they improved their, so they increased their sales process, effectiveness, and efficiency by 28% measured across the board, every single activity that you could possibly do in 30 days. That's massive. And that's yep. just from good data practices and actually understanding who you're selling to. It's understanding your customer ecosystem. There's no right and wrong when it comes to that. It's all just data. It's correct. There's no arguing with it. Not saying, mm -hmm. well, I feel like that's not the right place. Okay, you feel. I don't care what you feel. This is what's happening. If you don't like it, you're in denial. Yeah. Denial. You're in complete denial. Oh, no, I've been doing it this way forever. Uh, looks like time's just changed, buddy. Yeah. You know, that's that's the crazy part behind it is how stuck people are in their ways and being open to change, being an agent of change is so important. And that's what, I mean, I, I agree with you with the whole selling is selling is selling. It doesn't matter where it went through. It's it's just the, the, the method in which you sold. It's just the medium. That's all it is. The medium in yeah. which you reached out. But it's good to know where, which medium is working. 100%. But it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter across the board um, what's going on. It's just, what are you doing that's working? Identifying what's working and then really identifying what's not working because you're gonna find mm -hmm. that there's a lot of gray area in between where what went, with, with what went right versus what went wrong. There's a lot of overlap there. And that means that you could be doing something even better than both of those things because yeah. that overlap, a lot of that is strung together. Look at people's close rate, like I said, a quarter of a percent is the close rate for social selling outreach. That is one out of 400 people contacted or sold. One out of 400. Yeah. That needs to improve drastically. I mean, cold call, it's not much better. It's about a half a percent. Mm -hmm. One in 200. Okay. And then when it comes to direct, if you're actually talking to somebody, it's about a 2.5%. 2.5% for direct. And that's not too bad either. But at the same time, that's two and a half people. I guess that's, let's say, five people out of 200 people. This mm -hmm. can improve so much because the outreach is going in so many different directions. How do we actually narrow that down to a nice singular approach? I mean, the sales funnel, for anybody listening to this, I'm sorry, but you can't see my hands right now. If you're watching the video, you're lucky. But um, the sales funnel currently looks like a triangle. It's like this. 
Yeah. And then as my uh, as as one of our board members, Marcus Kauke, what he would say is that it looks like a pair of granny's panties, super wide at the top and then, you know, super thin at the bottom. That's what it is. It's a nice big triangle. What you want it to look like is a thong where it's a nice like, you know, at the top, it's large because that's the awareness section. You know, you're getting awareness and it goes down to a thin little strip because you are narrowing down the entire funnel yeah, yeah. all the way to the close so that you want it to look a per in a perfect world. A sales funnel will look like a perfect cylinder. Everything that's funneling in is also closing. That is a perfect, perfect funnel. Nice. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to not in a perfect world like we're in, but if you have good data practices, it's going to have a little bit of, a, of, of an increase at the top. It's going to get a little bit wider because the awareness when you're putting out all that content, mm -hmm. everybody sees it because it's public. And then yep. it should really, really narrow down to nearly nothing. Just a small little tiny funnel, uh, just a little bit wider than a, than a perfect cylinder at the top. Yep. And then it goes like really massive where, you know, the strip that would go around the waist would go, right? And yep. then, but right now, everybody has this perfect triangle, if not even wider, you know, a really, really wide triangle with a really, really short bottom, really, really thin bottom. So the amount of customers that you're getting is a fifth or not even a fifth, in some cases, one one hundredth of the people that are being that are aware of your existence are closing. So it's, can uh, I it's insane. It's insane when you think about it. And I really like that 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 kind of that cylinder approach. It's basically you want to talk to less people, have better have less people, the right people, better conversations with the people that are more likely to buy what you're doing, and then you're gonna you know just have more for less. That's right. why I hate outreach automation, and that's why I hate playing sales is a numbers game. And that's why quotas are not the answer when it comes to this mm -hmm. new method of selling, especially since COVID with all the so social selling and how big this is getting. If you're doing the numbers game, people are just going to block your account. You're going to get banned. Yeah. Nobody wants to talk to you. Then nobody mm -hmm. wants to talk to anybody. Now everybody's like, oh, I hate messages. Like I have 727 unread LinkedIn messages right now. There's probably yeah. something valuable in there. I don't even yeah. know it. How am I supposed to tell? It's because you're reaching out to anybody and their mother and it's just not a good fit in the first place. If we can find a way which, I mean, my company's pretty much done that, but finding a way to be able to narrow that down so it looks like a nice thong, right? That's exactly mm -hmm. what you want because you're not spamming everybody. People are able to do business at an effective, optimized manner. That is the biggest thing that we can do to improve as a society, as a business culture, as anything in B2B or B2C. B2C's pretty much got it figured out. I yeah. mean, they've got it figured out. B2B needs to learn from that because B2B is like 20 years behind. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's what, you know, the, the Forrester reports are saying is actually what can B2B learn from the e-commerce world. The challenge with well, the B2B, we don't have the level of data that e-commerce does in terms of, you know, knowing your inside leg measurements and what you're going to buy next and and, uh, and do next. But as as buyers, we have a certain expectation that that's what the buying experience should be like in some shape or, you know, in some shape or form. And the organizations that can can nail that that buyer experience you're not being sold to your solutioning you're allowing me to go through my own pace that is that is right you know right for me you know, it's, it's a big old thing the, the, the quota piece are completely greedy because you know buyers know we're going to wait to the end of the quarter because i know i'm going to get a call from a desperate sales rep and they're desperate to close the deal we'll we'll do you a deal you know i'll take a couple of percentage points off whatever needs needs to uh, needs to happen or the seller then sells the dream and then the poor customer success team have to pick up the shit show that's been sold because like well, well, uh, selling unfit customers is one of the most detrimental things to any business. Unfit customers because the CS team has a freaking nightmare to deal with that yeah. directly affects the product team because the product team now has to try to innovate for someone who's never going to be truly happy, who needs features that your, your perfect customer does not need in the first place. You're going to have a really increased churn rate. The engineering team is going to pretty much be on fire because they're trying to keep up with all the stuff that the product team says you have to innovate. And then the people who are actually interested and good customers are not getting the innovations they need yeah. to continuously use the product to increase their longevity rate. So you're focusing on the wrong innovation to make everybody happy. And when you try to make everyone happy, you make no one happy. Yeah. And that is all at the fault of the data, which is driving the marketing to the wrong people who are driving yeah. the wrong people for the salespeople to sell to, which the salespeople are also prospecting for, for a missed target, right? It's, it's mistargeted and misguided. And then they're driving that into customer success, which now you have a huge amount of spend in your customer success because you need to hire more and more people to deal with all these assholes who are never going to be happy in the first place. And then <laughs> what, what is that? What have you just done? Well, you've just increased your cost of new customer acquisition by like 80%. You've yep. now created a nightmare for your CS team where your, your, your company uh, morale is going to dip. 
And you're also putting so much pressure on the engineering team to do work that they feel like isn't even making a difference. How is that helping? It's not. All because you wanted to sell someone for a nice $10,000 sale where in the end it's costing you a hundred grand. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the most powerful things that I was taught in the world of sales is saying no, actually saying no to a customer. You know, this isn't right for you. You shouldn't do this. You're not ready. And you're going to get far more respect from them if they actually, okay, cool. Yeah, you're not ready. You're not ready for us. This, this, this just isn't right for you. Maybe in six months time, maybe in 12 months time, never. But you know what? We're going to do everybody a favor here by just this just not not going forwards. Otherwise, it's going to end in it's going to end in uh, in tears as it as it were. So, I know, have told me, so many people no selling. So many. And it's it catches it catches people off guard. It catches people off because they're so used to being have that you know yes 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 we'll do everything for you. It's like you know what. And sometimes you know in terms of what I do, I will give uh, you know people an hour kind of intro to, to what it is they potentially will get from me. And I'll get a real good sense if off the back of it, they're not going, Alex, when can we start to, you know, well, and he's, it's a fine. If you want to get away and think about it, I'm not going to push you. I'm not, I'm not going to push you on this because if you're there, we're just going to have a, you know, four, six, eight week program on this. It's going to be hard. You're going to pay me money. It's going to be good money. I'm going to go away and you're going to the full back to normal. I far rather people go, fuck me, this is awesome. I want to do this. Let's rock and roll. And they say, oh, I'm not sure because life's too short, right? Yeah. And but part of the, part of the issue with that too uh, is, um, so, well, I mean, I guess this is a little bit separate of an idea, but when it comes to social selling, the sales team should be working as a team. So mm -hmm. part of that issue is that they sell these people who are unqualified because they want to increase their paycheck. They want more commission, mm -hmm. which makes it the way that sales is structured is that it's a very, um, I guess, it's personally influential in the sense where you're making your own money based off of a commission and it's not a team oriented thing. It's selfish. It's a very selfish structure to how it was yeah. set up. You can thank the baby boomers for uh, making that commission thing happen. Salespeople yep. are really just the middleman trying to make their own buck. And yep. that's the problem. It should be team-based results, team-based behavior. And when it comes mm -hmm. to social selling, it's so important to have the team in line with one another, actually yep. commenting, sharing, and liking and engaging with each other's posts because it shows that you actually have a community within your company. So from an external point of view, it looks good. And then also think about the three degrees of separation. If one salesperson mm -hmm. grabs another salesperson's post, shares it or comments on it, then that's going to introduce other people to that post that's in their networks and it starts creating an actual network, yep. a real network with cycles. And it will cycle through each network and then someone may share it from there. Then it cycles through that network, yep. uh, full stop. And that's that. Uh, so that's the biggest thing right there is, is actually integrating this work and backing each other up doing it. Selling is more effective as a team sport than it is doing it individually as much as you want to, because it's the way that your pay is set up, helping yeah. others close and helping others sell more effectively in the end is going to pay you more commission because when you're helping others, teaching is the best way to learn and learning from others that are doing the job so that your boss is not underwater trying to help everybody and doesn't know what's going on. It becomes disjointed. It becomes more of a community aspect. And in the end, sure, you may not have as many sales this month, but you're going to have more sales next month. You're selling to more people. The team is more engaged with one another and helping each other out. And then everybody benefits. Yep. And then you get to the best, but then you get to the, kind of the, the nirvana is when your customers acting as advocates for you. <laughs> you know, if you can get a customer acting as an advocate for you on social, go and work with you know, Robert White Rabbit Intel, they're awesome. All their network goes, hey, what they hang on a second, then you got all the old FOMO, what they're doing some cool stuff with it. I want to go and and yeah, it's the it's the network, it's the, the network effects on um on social. But the only way you can create a network effect is if you um are active, you're visible, you're doing the do, little and often. This is the other thing. You can't go in and go splurge one week on LinkedIn and then forget it for three months. You've got to put some time and effort into this. You've got to put some time and effort in building, you know, building your brand, building your community, building the the, uh, the, the conversations um, as with one of everything else that needs to happen at the, um, you know, at the at the same time. And, you know, in the five five years I've been going, every single piece of business I've generated, and I work with global law firms, global accounting firms, big tech companies, has been generated through social. Every single piece of business has either been inbound on uh, on social through LinkedIn or Twitter or a referral. Ninety percent of all of our business is from social media. Yeah. Ninety percent. Um, no paid, all organic, um, all that, all that side of things. All organic, ninety percent. Yeah. Yep. And, yeah, we're a prime example. We, you know, this is this this conversation is a prime example. I'm in a network. I'm curious. That's the other thing. I'm curious. I want to learn. I want to understand 
what are the things out there? How can I do things more effectively? What, what are better What are better things to do so I can advise you know, my clients? Go and talk to Rob. You need to go and talk to him. You need to understand what he's doing in terms of how he might help you make this more effective. In terms of, I'm teaching the team to do the do, and now he's got some some cool stuff which can give you the data insights. So now you're doing everything at the, you know, at the right time with the uh, with the right people. That's I believe the other challenge around this. And I include marketing. I include marketing in this as well. They're not curious. They don't actually want, you know, broad brush stroke, shoot me down to this, but they're not curious. They don't want to learn. They don't want to learn things different. They're happy. They're happy with the nine to five. They're happy with the paycheck. And I don't really want to challenge the status quo, but that's what we were discussing earlier because that sounds a bit difficult. They have nothing to work toward. Yeah. That's why commission, it's, it's, it's good and it's bad. It's evil and it's also, you know, uh, holy at the same time. It gives people that personal push to want to do better, but then it also disjoints the team at the same time. There needs to be a better solution. I know we're going way off base here, but it's there needs to be a solution for the team metrics to be able to add up, and it's not in quotas. It should be behavioral-based and outcome-based 100% of the way. If the sales team closes X number of deals as a team, then they get Y amount of commission, but then yep. they also get Z amount of commission personally for the commission. That there, there needs to be a, somewhere that's a happy medium to yep. start really driving this new methodology. And that would be a better outcome for the customers because they know they're not running on a you know, quarter by quarter or month by month cycle. It's a 12-month cycle if you're not ready. And the thing is, if yes, then may, and this back to, the news, back to what we were talking about earlier, yes, that may mean that the sales or the CRO has got to go to the CFO and go, we're going to have a dip in revenue for the next six months. It's going to happen, right? Because of what's But if we go and do this, we forecast that the next 6 to 12, 18 months, we'll have a much better pipeline, much more robust pipeline, happier salespeople, more content sales, happier people going to work harder, give more to the, you know, give more to the business. When I was in my, my recruitment days, nine times out of 10, the reason a seller would leave their, their successful salespeople would leave their role is they were screwed over. They were screwed over by the business in terms of, I did what you asked me to do, and now you feel you're, you're paying me too much money. So you're not going to pay me. So f you, I'm 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 leaving here. It's like what? Why would you? You know why would you want to do that? If you've got a really successful salesperson that's doing what they're supposed to be doing, pay them what they're worth. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's never in it's never in the uh, the salary. A good salesperson who's worried about a salary doesn't know how to sell. Yeah, that's the thing. Salespeople should make their money from selling at the commission. If you're able to sell and really, really sell. A good commission is worth more than any good salary if you actually know how to sell, 100%. 100%. I, I, I do agree with that. However, if you're gonna create that kind of group structure and you're relying on everybody else to do to do the good thing, then that's maybe you gotta take a bit of hit on the OTE, but you're gonna better better bump on the uh, on, on the base, so you're less stressed about hitting your rent, you're, you're, you're paying your rent, your car, your car on this and that. And I've been there, I've been there back in the day where I was spending my commission before I got it. <laughs> you go, right, shit, that hasn't worked out because I'm now playing, you know, playing catch up that gets you into a stressful situation. And, you know, each you know, product or service that you're selling, of course, is, is all different. But I do, you know, 100% agree with you that, that there needs to be this change in terms of how salespeople are commissioned or driven from their kpi perspective and that and again if you think about that if you then have something done on, on an annualized basis with you know maybe some kickers during the course of the year then social selling is cool because it gives more people time to build a community on linkedin to build those conversations to build content and actually have time to build that so that then it's just that self that self-fulfilling uh inbound of stuff is just coming in because i want to talk to you it's the right time to have a conversation you're a really sensible person i like what you're talking about you seem like you can help me someone else has recommended me and on top of the other uh you know activities that you're doing to drive uh, to drive pipe especially if we're to believe the research that salespeople are being squeezed out of the process bye yeah. bye yeah and another thing like you said that people don't want to talk to a salesperson they don't want them in the process we just shouldn't use the term salesperson yeah it's not a salesperson. It's an account executive. It's an account yeah. manager. It's a it's a a, a, a a solutions expert or something. Yeah. It's just redefining the term because if we are able to fix the process that's broken, we just need to redefine the term because salesperson that term is getting left in the dust once yeah. everything is is uh, fixed and and well prepared. So that I think that's going to be another step in the process. But I hope that people don't jump the gun on that, call it something different, and then just have people reaching out the way that they are. The process needs to be yeah. fixed first. <laughs> 
first. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to talk to AEs anymore <laughs> because they're just doing this. It's the same shit, different color, right? <laughs> yep, exactly. So we got to fix the process to make that a thing. But listen, we are out of time here. So uh, I want to thank you, Alex, so much for coming to this. This was a very fun conversation. I think people are going to get a lot of value out of this. It's a huge wake up call. Yeah, it, it, it now is the time, people. Now is the time to think differently, be, be curious, get into the data, try different things, and I think you'll be surprised as to, to what happens. Absolutely. It doesn't hurt to try. It doesn't Indeed. hurt to try at all. But, uh, yeah, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, this is Down the Rabbit Hole Podcast. I am your host, Rob Turley. I had my special guest here, Alex Lowe. And, um, yeah, this uh, podcast is brought to you by White Rabbit Intel, sales and implement technology so that you can know more, win more, and close often. That's no joke. The results have been ridiculous. Uh, anyway, uh, please follow our hashtag, hashtag DTRH podcast, and hashtag sales enablement. It's great to have you all here, and uh, have a good night. We'll see you next week. If you enjoyed this episode, follow Down the Rabbit Hole Podcast for new episodes weekly on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, and YouTube. If you'd like to apply to be featured on the podcast or recommend a featured guest, please feel free to email us at the team at whiterabbitintel.com.